is my wife's effort. <laughs> <clears throat> Just gonna let everyone else in. Sammy, welcome. Nicole, welcome. Seems like uh well, sure, good to see you. This is a very popular topic. Okay. Um let's begin, shall we? Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining tonight. Our topic tonight is about Kabbalah, uh, but the particular the particular issue that we are going to be looking at tonight is not just Kabbalah, but how Kabbalah is to be addressed with regards to halakha, and specifically how do the Sfaradim deal with this? And that is, in and of itself, a complicated question, because it is here, and this is a wonderful. This is a wonderful point, right? A wonderful subject to kind of bring this out. The question is, which Svaradim? Because Svaradim address it differently, classically, right? So that is something that we're going to need to look at, right? And try and understand and, and really question why it is that different, uh, you know, groups among the Svaradim deal with Kabbalah differently. And so we're going to have to look at that. Now, what I've decided to do tonight is to base it, because this is part of a series, just in case, you know, not everyone is aware, it's part of a series. We're looking at Tishubot, written by various Faradi Hachamim, and we're using these Tishubot in order to be able to plot points in pattern, right? So we're trying to be able to find pattern in the thoughts among the Faradi Hachamim that we're looking at, and to see from these Tishubot key posts within a pattern of key aspects within a pattern that in brought, okay, I'm gonna need everybody to, to mute. That in the pattern, right? There are points within the pattern that create broad opportunities for brushstrokes, right? They create broad uh, 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 abilities for us to be able to have some basic sketching of what the mindset is of our learning and of our approach and understanding of how we look at Torah in general and how it is that we look at the mitzvot in our lives with regards to that. So we've looked at various tishuvot, and what we're looking at tonight is a tishuvah from my rab, Hacham Ovadia Yosef, Zecher Tzadik Lebracha. And in this tishuvah, Hacham Ovadia is addressing a question. The question is a specific question, but it is within this question that we are looking at a specific concept. The question itself is, do we say the beracha Me'ensheva, which is the beracha that we say on a Friday night after saying the Amida, right, the silent prayer, as a kind of repetition. It's called Me'ensheva because it takes the seven blessings of the beracha and turn it into one with a summary. And the reason why that was normally said was because it was instituted by the hachamim to say on Friday night, especially, was because people would come late to shul, they would come late to synagogue. And synagogues were often not in populated areas. They were a little bit out in the fields or not necessarily within the center of town. And in order to be able to make sure that people did not end up walking home alone and endangering themselves as a result of walking home alone, the hachamim padded the prayer with this birachame and sheva so that when people came late, they would be able to leave with everyone else because the prayers would be padded there with this prayer that they added which would give a little bit more time for people to catch up and everybody kind of end walking home uh, together. 
The question is, should this prayer be said? And by the way, I'm just giving you the reference for what we're reading. We are not going to look at that law <laughs> at all. I'm just telling you the context within which the Teshuvah is coming. And the question that Hakam Ovadiyah is dealing with in, in this Teshuvah is, should this be said on a Friday night that falls out on the night of Pesach as well? Do we say Berachem and Sheva when Friday night, normally we would say it on a Friday night, but when the Friday night is Pesach night, do we say the man Sheva? Why wouldn't we say the man Sheva? Because there is tradition that on Pesach night, B'nai Israel, the people of Israel, have full uh, protection of Akadosh Baruch Hu because it's a Leil Shimurim. And so the Berachem and Sheva is not necessary. And so there is an argument among the Hachamim. Some of the Mekubalim say, and even that's not necessarily clear, that the Berachem and Sheva always needs to be said no matter what. Whereas the Pashtanim, the people, the regular poskim, who do not necessarily have inclination towards Kabbalah, say, no, on this night doesn't necessarily need to be said. So there is a whole argument, but because the Mikubalim voice an opinion on that issue, Hacham delves into, he dives into this question of when Kabbalah poses opinion in Halakha, and it contradicts what the poskim that are not necessarily engaged or drawing from Kabbalah for their legal rulings, right? So when we have a group of rabbis that are drawing from Kabbalah for their legal rulings and a group of rabbis that are drawing from basic legal literature for their legal rulings, what takes precedent? And it would seem simple enough that the legal rulings based on legal literature should take precedent because Kabbalah is not a legal corpus necessarily. At least it's not put out that way uh, on the surface. And yet, there are Mikubalim who say that no, Kabbalah needs to take precedent always. And if we have something that Kabbalah says should be a law, that should take precedent over everything. We're going to have to understand why that is, right? Why it is there's, there's thinking this. And the reality is, you know, we're talking, our, we're calling ourselves the Sephardi Chabura. We're talking about classic Sephardi approach. And yet there's this issue within Sephardi Torah or approach to Torah, we really have to decide, we have to deal with and understand. So Hacham Ovadia uh, himself, we're going to see how he deals with this, but Hacham Ovadia holds that this, this, this idea that Kabbalah should, should override the legal system and, and, and process of dealing with and adjudicating Jewish law is unacceptable, and it is not to be admitted in the judicial process. Now, what we are going to look at is one section of his legal treatment of that original question of the Berachame and Sheva. The section we're going to read has nothing to do with Berachame and Sheva. The section we're going to read has to do with another issue, and that he brings it in in the middle of his legal discussion. What is this issue? The question of the Berachah of Berkot Shahar, right? When we're saying the morning blessings, we're going through them. Yeah, Bokeh Ivrim, Noten Arumim. There's a Berachah, Hanoten Nayaev Koah, right? Which literally means it, it comes from Pasuk in the Navi, which means God gives the, the, the tired strength. The problem is, and this is all introduction so that when we come in to read the, 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 the tshuva, we know what, what it is that we're looking at. The problem is that we have a principle that we do not normally say any berachot that were not established in the Talmud to be said. In other words, if the Talmud does not say to say a berachah, we don't say the berachah. 
Now, Talmud spoke about, writes, what are the berachot of the shahar? Which berachot should we say in the morning? And interestingly, the beracha of hanoten layayev koach is not mentioned in the Talmud. And yet, so many people, Sfaradim and Ashkenazim, say in their berachot of shahar, <coughs> excuse me, hanoten layayev koach. So Hacham Ovadia wants to explore in the middle of his discussion of the Beracha Sheva, why do we say Hanoten Layev Koach? Why is he bringing in this, this into the question of Kabbalah? Because guess what? The Mikubalim also say that Hanoten Layev Koach should be said, even though it's not mentioned in the Gemara. Yes? Okay. So that is where the Teshuvah picks up, right? Where we're going to be reading picks up from there. Should Hanoten Layev Koach be said just because the Mikubalim say that it should be said, specifically the Ari Rabi Haqluri Ashkenazi, does his word override the normal principle that we have, that when a Barakha is not mentioned in the Talmud, we shouldn't say it. Now, one more thing before we get into the nitty gritty, and that is another principle. And the principle is, and many of you will have heard this before, when it comes to birachot specifically, right, saying blessings, which means that we are taking God's name in this blessing, right, we're saying Baruch Atah Hashem and saying God's name out, we have a rule, Safek birachot lekin, right, the post scheme will call that Sabal, you know, in short form, right, because it's a Rashi Tevot, Samech Bet Lamed, Safek birachot lekin. What is Safek birachot lekin? If I have a doubt as to whether I should or should not say a beracha, even if that doubt is arguments between rabbis, between authorities, right? Certain authorities say to say the beracha, other authorities say not to say the beracha. When it comes to berachot, I refrain from saying it. Why? Because I may be saying God's name in vain. In other words, if the rabbis who say not to say it are correct, well, then I'm saying God's name in vain. And the, this, this is something about the Sfaradim, which is important to mention about the Sfaradim in general. We hold the prohibition of taking God's name in vain much more severely than the Ashkenazim do. And I'm not just saying that as a cultural thing. We take it more severely because we learn the origins of the prohibition differently. The Sfaradim, based on Harambam and the Shohan Aruch, understand the prohibition of taking God's name in vain to come directly from the Pasuk of the Ten Commandments, you are not to take the Lord God your name in vain. The Ashkenazim do not learn it from there. The Ashkenazim learn that that line in the Ten Commandments is talking specifically about swearing falsely in God's name and nothing else. So to just say God's name without reason does not fall under that prohibition of the Ten Commandments. It is, it comes from another place. Where do the Ashkenazim learn this prohibition from? They learn it from a positive commandment, not a negative commandment. They learn it from the commandment that tells us, et Adonai Elohecha tira. You have to have fear of the Lord your God. And part of fearing God is not to take his name in vain. So that's a very different thing. The Sfaradim look at it as equal to swearing in God's name falsely to say, but that's not needed. The Ashkenazim look at it as you didn't have proper reverence, and it's a positive commandment. So that manifests legally very differently between the Sfaradim and the Ashkenazim, which we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty details tonight, but it's nonetheless an important concept to know before we get into the Teshubah. 
So being that that's the case, if I have opinions that say, Hanoten la'ayev koach should be said, and opinions who say, Hanoten la'ayev koach should not be said, I should implement the principle of safek barachot la'akev. We have a doubt here. Don't put yourself into trouble and possibly take God's name in vain. Don't say the baracha. Except that there are those who say that when the rabbis who say the baracha should be said are Kabbalists, and they are coming from in the authority of Rabbi Tzhak Luria Ashkenazi, the Ari, it overrides everything. Even the possibility of taking God's name in vain and the baracha should be said. And so Hacham comes now to deal with that question. Do we say because the Ari said so? Or do we maintain our legal principle of safek berachot la'akel that when we have doubts in berachot, no matter who says it, we refrain from saying the berachot so that we don't enter into the problem of taking God's name in vain. I hope that you followed me on that because this is now where we dip into the teshuvah. So what I have here, I'm going to put on your screen the actual teshuvah because I have all of the teshuvah from Hacham digitized, thankfully. And I'm going to share the screen uh, so that you can follow along with me in the reading, okay? And it's not it's not terribly complicated, the reading, even though normally a Bialmer is quite complicated. <clears throat> okay? I hope you can see it. So we're in Otiot Bet, where my cursor is, Vihine. Yes? So Acham comes in after what I just said, and he says, Hine b'makom mekubalim sovrim hefech poskim. When the mekubalim the Kabbalists have opinions that are the opposite of the opinions of the legal rabbis, right? Of the rabbis that are dealing legally with their basis, not from Kabbalah. Even that is an argument. Should we rule like the Mekubalim or should we rule like the basic post, what we call Pashtanim? We call them Pashtanim, right? It means the rabbis that deal with Pshat, right? Basic level. So do we deal? Do we rule like the mekubalim or do we like the the pashtanim? So a major uh, figure in this argument is the hida, right? It says Yidurim divrei hida. Who's the hida? Bihaim Yosef David Azulai lived in the 18th century, was born in uh, Eretz Israel, and he went around the known world collecting for the poor people in Eretz Israel. I always tell the story about the fact he wrote a diary, he wrote a journal, and where he chronicled all of his travels. And he writes that some very interesting things, many, many interesting things. But one of them is that he wrote, he wrote that he visited London. And of course, there was only one community in London. And that was our community, the SMP community. And he went to see the people there uh, at Bevis Marks. And he asked to see the Ma'amad. And the Ma'amad refused to see him because they heard he was collecting tzedakah. But in the end, he pressed and pressed, and they finally saw him, and they gave him money, you know, to bring back to the Anim of, uh, of Eretz Israel, and, you know, they lived happily ever after. So the, the Hida stands for Hayim Yosef David Azulai. He was, the Hida was an, an absolute uh, genius. I mean, he was an Ilui. He had a photographic memory. He wrote over 70 books in his lifetime. In his travels around the world, he saw many, many manuscripts and committed them to memory when he was traveling. And so he had a huge library as it was, but he also had a tremendous memory for these manuscripts. And now that we actually have these manuscripts, many of them printed, we see that he had accurate memory of all of them. And so he put them down in his writings. And one of the books that he wrote is called Birke Yosef. And the Birke Yosef 
was written as a gloss to the Shohan Aruch. So in the Shohan Aruch, there's this question uh, about Hanoten uh, Koach. So let's take a look. The Shohan Aruch I have over here. Can you see? His Shohan Aruch Mimva. Uh, and Maran writes in Shohan Aruch very simply. He says, Yesh no hagim koach. He says, there are those who have custom to say and their words do not look valuable. They don't, they don't look right, right? We don't basically to say is I can't see what they're saying. Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't seem applicable. So Maran in the Shahan Aruch dismisses says it should not be said. Now he says, Maran writes, says on that, on his gloss, So when is Maran? Maran is in the 16th century. When is the Hida? He's in the 18th century. And the Hida is writing on Maran's words. That's nice. But today, about, you know, 200 years later, we don't do that anymore. We now say the Biracha. It became custom to say the Biracha. Uh, and why do we do it, says the Hida? Drum roll. Alpi kitve Rabbeinu Harizal. We do it based on the writings of the Ari, Rabbi Yitzhak Luri Ashkenazi, who is the granddaddy of modern Kabbalah, right? He is the, he is the master of modern Kabbalah. So what is the Hida saying? He goes further. He says, Right, we had last week a class with Rabbi Yonatan Alevi, who went through all this whole concept of Maran, right? We accepted the rulings of Maran. So the Hida is saying, yeah, no, we did, but we got the rulings of Maran. However, we've accepted that if Maran would have seen the words of the Ari, he wouldn't have written what he wrote. He would have accepted the words of the Ari, which is, I mean, you know, it's shocking to say such a thing, because how do you know what Maran would have accepted? That is what we would call right? That's you know, prophecy to say that, oh, no, you know, I think that we're going to change the We're going to say a with God's name, even though it's potentially taking God's name in vain. And we're going to say that if Maran would have seen the, the words of Rabbeinu Ari, he would have agreed to the words of Rabbeinu Ari. And therefore, we're making it all nice and okay because we're not saying that we're really going against Maran. We're saying Maran would agree with us. How do we know that Maran agree? So this, this point is what stirs Hacham Ovadiyah up. Right? Because Hacham Ovadiyah here is that the Hida is saying if Maran would have heard what the Ari said, he would have agreed. Hacham Ovadiyah says, excuse me, I have no idea why you think that you have the authority to say that. There's absolutely no precedent whatsoever to suggest that if Maran would have seen the words of Yari, that he would have changed his mind. And it's that that Hakam Avadiyah attacks here, right? This is where Hakam Avadiyah goes and deals with this. And it's that based on that, he says, I'm going to explain to you why I think it's absolutely inappropriate to say that Maran would have changed his mind if he heard the Ari, because we don't base our thoughts on Kabbalah. So take a look over this version that I have over here is a new version. And this was published after Hacham Avadiyah passed away. And what they did in the new version of Yabi Omer was they took the Yabi Omer from Hacham Avadiyah's own set because he wrote notes on the side. And they published the majority of his notes on the bottom in footnotes. So if you take a look over here, 
you know, he writes in uh, in number thirteen. Although we didn't get to the uh, we didn't get to the footnote yet, but he writes over here in number thirteen. He goes Tmehani al Hida. This is Hakam Avadia speaking. He says, "I'm shocked at the Hida." He said, how could he write that and not worry about the, the honor of Maran? That he wrote a, an opinion in the Shohan Aruch and if he just saw the opinion of the Ari, he would have changed his mind? That's disrespectful, Hakam says. It's not right to say that. Anyway, that's what the Hidah says. So is that true? Is it true that if Maran saw the words of the Ari, that it would have been overwhelmingly uh, potent to throw out his halakha that he wrote in the Shohan Aruch, namely that we do not, he doesn't agree that the Hanotel Nehav Koach should be said. Umagam, and even though this is still the Hidah speaking, Shekatab Knesset Agdola, who's the Knesset Agdola? Rabbi Yoshua ben Vinisti. Rabbi Yoshua ben Vinisti was Spanish. And it's interesting because uh, Rabbi Michael Epstein, the, word, the name Ben Vinisti is obviously a well known Spanish name. And Rabbi Michael Epstein, who wrote who wrote um, the Shohana, who wrote, excuse me, Arucha Shohan, was German and he lived in the city, Epstein. So he writes in his introduction, he says, anybody whose last name is Epstein should know that their original name was Benvenisti and that we came from Spain and we moved to Germany and we had changed our name to the name of the city Epstein, but our name really is Benvenisti. In any case, that's a little tidbit for, I don't know, it's trivia. In any case, um, so he says that the Knesset Agdolar Biushra bin Vinisti wrote Ikaman de Shamas. Not enough that we say that Maran would have changed his mind. As a matter of fact, there's some kind of tradition that we have that Maran did change his mind at the end of his life, right? And that is the way that we should be, we should behave, we should say not like Rabbi Hizkiyahu de Silva and the Pri Hadash who said, no, I hear the people say that about Maran, but I don't agree. I don't say Barachad Nuteneh So that's the end of the Hidah. Then the Hidah wrote it again, says Hacham in his book, Tov'ayin. Now he gets it even further. He goes, you know, why am I saying this? Because Maran and the other Hachamim uh, didn't know one one hundredth this is the Hidah speaking, of what Rabbeinu Ha'ari knew of his greatness. They didn't come to a one hundredth of what it was that Ari, uh, the Ari was, which is a pretty bold thing to say. He says, And yeah, there was a, an Avon that occurred, and the Ari died in the days of Maran. By the way, for those who don't know, the Ari was a contemporary of Maran, and they lived in Sfat together for a year and 10 months, right? The Ari lived in Sfat for a year and 10 months together with Maran. He died very young. The Ari died 39 years old. The, Mar the Maran died in his 80s. So it's very possible that Maran heard after the Ari died by his students that he used to say the Barachan Otene of Koah Behazarbo. So the, here is in the, the 13 where, Mar, where Hakam of Aliyah says, I cannot believe that the Hida wrote that about Maran and was so disrespectful that he was one one hundredth of the Ari in his greatness. Now, he says, This Dehem is of Hizkiyahu Medini, uh, 19th century, lived in, uh, in Hebron. He also says we should say the Barachan Otene Avkoah against 
the Shohan Aruch. And essentially, it's not only against the Shohan Aruch, it's saying that we do not employ the, the principle of Safek Barachot Le'akel against the Ari. That means that the question of taking God's name in vain takes a back seat to the words of, of Rabbi Yitzhak Luria Ashkenazi, the Ari. That's what these the, the Hakamim are saying here. I mean, the Hida and this the Hamid and the and the and the and you'll see now the Benish Hai, right? The Benish Hai, going to be Yosef Haim Shudra Pealim, Dibura Mahivida, this Mahazes Semichabe Kol Koho. The Benish Hai leaned on the words of the Hida with all of his might, right? In other words, he leaned on it totally and said, Yes, Hanoten Ev Koah should be said. Why? Because the Ari said to say it. We do not say When the Ari says a Beracha should be said, we say it. We don't care who argues on him. The Ari says to say a Beracha, we say the Beracha. Even though when it comes to Maran, if Maran says to say a Beracha, and somebody else disagrees, we don't say the bracha. Why? We don't take God's name in vain, even against Maran. But when the Ari says it, different story. The Ari was too great. Everybody following this over here so far? Have I lost everyone? Everybody following our train of thought? Yeah? Does anybody need any clarification? Lovely. So everybody's still on the train. Okay, good. So um, sorry, I, I kind of have a question though, because it's well, I'll decide if I'm going to answer the question at this point, but you can ask. I can, I can ask. Okay, I'll put it on the chat. But 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 the the, the Chida seems to say there's precedence for the um, the Shulchan Aruch changing changing his mind in favor of the Ari, but doesn't tell us where that precedence is. Where do you say that? You said that when you were just so I can't remember exactly where, but you were saying you know that when he you know had he seen the words of the Ari, he he would have um, he would have changed his mind, and indeed well, later on he does. Oh, something like that. You, you. No, no, I'm not. No, I didn't say at all that he does. I'm saying, I'm saying that the hidat to say that is completely pulling that out of a hat. Since when? Why would we hold that the, that Maran automatically, if he would have seen the words of the Ari, would change his mind? That's what the hidat is saying. Yes. But we're saying from where? What, what is the evidence of such a thing? There is no such evidence. It's just simply saying it can't be that the uh, that Maran would know how great the Ari was. And not capitulate to the Ari's words. So that is what Hakam Avadiyah is going to address. Right now, he's just setting it up and saying, look, people say this, right? Not only the Hida, the Knesset Gdolah says this, the Rabbi Hizkiyah Medini says this, the Benish Hai Samach Bechol Koho, with all of his might, he relied on the Hida saying this, that this is the way that it should be, that when the Ari says to say a Beracha, there is absolute capitulation. There is no question we take God's name in that beracha without regard of saying God's name in vain. God in his heaven and all is well and everything will be okay because we listen to the Ari. That's what the Hidah is saying. So there Hacham Avadiyah is saying, I'm sorry, but no, that's not acceptable. I'm going to show you now. Now we have to see why is it that Hacham Avadiyah holds that A, it's not acceptable and B, it's certainly not the case that Maran would have changed his mind. So back to screen share. He says, honestly, I and my, my poorness, he's, he's saying, right? He's being poetic over here. He goes, look, I must be a poor 
And as a you know, an impoverished individual, not having seen writings enough. I mean, you're talking about a man who's like has encyclopedic knowledge of every legal, you know, statement made in halacha, and he's saying, "Look, I I don't I don't understand lo zachiti lavin. I didn't merit understanding from where menalehu, from where these rabbanim that I mentioned have this umdina. Umdina means this evaluation that they've made. Yeah, bedat maran in the knowledge and thought of maran." How did they make such an evaluation in his thought that if Hayaro el posekin, that if he would have been he would have been posek like Rabbi Ari if he saw what he wrote? Hakamari says, I mean, look, with all due respect to the Ari, literally is what that means, right? With all due respect to the Ari, Aterit Adam, surely the crown over everyone's head. Anan, we kaimalan lobashamaini. There's a whole other issue over here that nobody's paying attention to. And that is, as mentioned in Gemara and Bava Metziah, the Torah does not exist in the heavens. Right? So this is important because you might, you might miss here. Yeah? Why does Hacham Avadya all of a sudden say this, this other principle of Loba Shamaini? The Torah doesn't exist in the heavens. What does that have to do with anything that we've been talking about? We've been talking about the power of the Ari. Why? Because why is it that people believe that the Ari should, excuse me for saying, trump the entire question of saying a beracha. They believe it because they believe that the Ari's Torah came straight from the mouth of Eliyahu and Nabi. And that everything that the Ari wrote was revealed to him by Eliyahu and Nabi. And that if that is the nature of the Ari's Torah and he got privy information from on high, that the Berachah Koch should be said, well, who are we to argue with heaven? Now, it's very important to understand, and since we are talking about Sfaradim over here, okay, I'm, 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 I'm like bringing this along with our discussion because this is, you know, based on how does Sfaradim look at this. Not everybody believed that the Ari received everything that he received from Eliyahu Nabi. That is specific to the Sfaradi, Sfaradi Hachamim who believed in the Ari's Torah, right? So our guys, right, for lack of a better term, so the Hida and the Ben Ishai and the Rabahim Palachi and all of the, all of the, the Kafahayim, Sofer, right? Rabbi, he's on my bookshelf on this on this side, yeah? Rabbi Abdullah Somech, yeah? All of, especially, you know, the Baghdadian ones who were, Rabbi Eliyahu Mani, yeah, who were, who were in Baghdad, who, who definitely followed the Benish Hai in his thought, which was relatively recent, right? But the Hida certainly was also a Mikubal, studied Kabbalah. We're talking about 18th century over here, lived in Eretz Israel. These people, Rabbi Hizkiyahu Medini, this Dehemed, they believed that the Ari accepted all of his Torah as revelation from Eliyahu and Nabi. And so how could we argue with direct revelation? Yeah, that in and of itself is questionable, right? How is there revelation or isn't there revelation? If so, what kind of revelation is it? That's its own discussion. But let's just take for granted for a minute that it was such as our Sfaradim, like the Sfaradim would say, when I say as, I mean, as opposed to the Ashkenazim, the Sfaradim were not the only people who studied Kabbalah. There are plenty of Ashkenazim who studied Kabbalah. And in a minute, we're going to see the Vilna Gaon was a great Mekubal. He certainly did not approach the Ari the way that our Sfaradim approached the Ari. 
hook, line, and sinker with you know almost uh, blinders and, and saying, no, no, once the Ari says something, that's it. There's nothing else that we can say, which Hacham is going to bring. So Hacham is very interesting because Hacham is a Baghdadian rabbi, right? He comes from that line, except that Hacham was very concerned and was very protective of the law. And he was concerned about mixing um, metaphysics into legal discussions. And because he was a legal purist, he did not feel that it was appropriate that the, the hachamim, like the Hida and the Benishai, and so on and so forth, like he's bringing over here, should bring that into legal discussion, especially when we're dealing with God's name, right? Taking God's name in vain, and the severity of, of swearing falsely in God's name. So Hacham is here leaning away from the mystical tradition that is all-encompassing and quite powerful in Middle Eastern uh, rabbinic thought. Yeah, Hacham is moving away from that. And he's putting himself, watch what he does. In order to do that, he has to essentially align himself with Ashkenazim. Watch what happens over here, yeah? So what he does is this. <laughs> this is what he says. Oh, sorry, I got to put it up on the screen for you again. Yeah. So he says over here, "Loba shamayimhi." Right. That's where we ended off. It's not in heaven. And if you're going to tell me that everything was revealed by Eliyahu Nabi, that's very nice, but it has no place in legal discussions. Because the legal discussions were given over to us at Sinai. And as it's shown in Baba Metziah, whenever we have legal discussion, we have the story. I'm not going to go through all the story, but the story of Rabbi Ezra Gadol and Rabbi and Rabban Gamliel and all of his friends. And where Rabbi Ezra Gadol says, listen, I hold halakha like, is like me. And if halakha is like me, the tree outside should prove it. And the tree up, you know, is uprooted and moves you know, a, a few feet over and, and replants itself. If Halakha is like me, the river should prove it. The river starts flowing backwards. You know? So there's these you know, divine indications that his legal opinion is correct. And all Rabban Gamliel can say in response to that is, it's really nice, Eliezer. I mean, wonderful tricks. But Loba Shamaimi, none of this has any place in the heavens because it's been given over to us. And I want to pause here. Actually, I'm going to pause here for one minute, even though, look, I mean, I know we're going to get through the Tishuba, we will go through the Tishuba, but it's extremely important to understand the, the concepts here, if we are going to understand it at all. And since this is the aim of our Habura, is to understand why we think what we think, I want to pause and explain here what's going on. When we say Loba Shamayim, when Rabban Gamliel, right, Rabban is Nasi, Rabban Gamliel is literally looking at miracles happening in front of his eyes outside. And everybody watching, right? Everyone watching this. Understand the power of clear leadership. And where Rabban Gamliel understands clearly and emphatically that the nature of our covenant with God is included in the treatment of our Torah. And that the principles of the Torah that were given over to us at Sinai were given to us to apply in our jurisprudence and capacity for adjudication as we deem it appropriate. And that's what Loba Shamaimi means. It's not in heaven means it is no longer in heaven. Came from heaven, but is no longer in heaven. And the adjudication and application of principles of our Torah are ours to determine. 
not heavens. And therefore, anything that comes from heaven after that initial delivery of Torah is inadmissible legally. So if you're going to tell me, that's why Hamadiyah says over here, Lo Bashamaimi. If you're going to tell me that the Ariz Torah comes from the mouth of Eliyahu Nabi and Eliyahu Nabi is not standing as a man on earth talking to him and he's speaking as an angel from on high, it's lovely, it's powerful, it's thrilling, it's exhilarating, it's moving, it's holy, it's inadmissible legally. It is not to be brought in to legal discussions. And that's what Chacham Avadiyah is pointing out over here. So no, my, my friend, Hida, if Maran saw what Rabbeinu Ari said, he most certainly would not change his mind because it's inadmissible. And by the way, I'll tell you, we know clearly, you talk about precedent, uh, Robert Sassoon. The precedent with Maran is quite the contrary because Maran himself spoke to some divine uh, muses, right? There's a whole tradition that we have that Maran had a Magid that he spoke to, that spoke to him. And an interesting thing that we have in Hilchot Nida, by the way, which has to do with a hatitza, with a nail, right? With a woman has a nail that is partially off and not completely off. What's the halakha? There's two opinions. The Magid says to Maran, the opinion A is the appropriate opinion. And how is Maran posek in the Bet Yosef? Like opinion B, not like opinion A. Even though the Magid told him outright that opinion A was the right opinion. Maran was like, well, that's very nice, but law doesn't go by the Magid. I mean, I can get all kinds of advice and interesting spiritual guidance by the Magid, but you will not be posek my Bet Yosef. The Bet Yosef is mine to be posek. And it's clearly put out in the modern Bet Yosef that's, uh, that was printed by Mahon Yerushalayim. In any case, so that we see that Maran most certainly would not have listened to the Ari if he, if he saw what the Ari was, was saying, unless there was legal, legal reason for it. And that's true, like I said, if, if Eliyahu Navi was in human form and speaking, well, then his opinion would be considered among everybody else's, like the regular legal discussions are. So that's why Hakam uh, Avadiyah says Lo Bashamaimi. And do we? Um, did he, did he no, not now. I'm that? sorry, not now. So we have to carry on. I will listen though. If you have something, we can talk about it afterwards, right? So now Hakam Avadiyah starts getting into it. He says, From where do you learn that we should leave aside all of the words of the poskim, the famous poskim? Who, and why are they famous? Because of the strength of their their capacity to deal with law. And all of a sudden, all of them should be pushed aside and we should grab the words of the Arizal. As though it's a halakha, it was given to Moshe directly from Sinai. What's more, Harambam would, re would, would reject this out of hand, says Hakam Ovedyad. I mean, we know what Harambam said in his Hakdaman to the Perusha Mishnah when he's opening, talking about the Mishnah itself and our legal, our legal system. When a prophet has an opinion on law, but it is a prophetically based opinion, which means that it was revealed to the prophet. You're not allowed to listen to the Navi. It is inadmissible because it came from on high. Right, this is Harambam's words. Even if you had a thousand Nevi'im of the caliber of Eliyahu and Nabi and Elisha, who were the highest level Nevi'im that we've had, 
and they all thousand of them, highest caliber prophets, hold one opinion. And then you have a thousand and one hachamim that hold another opinion. Therefore, it's a question of who to be a posseg line. You follow the majority. Why does he say here that you follow the majority? He's saying because the fact that the Nevi'im have an opinion is an opinion. And it will be considered like any other opinion. The fact that it comes from prophecy absolutely bears absolutely no weight. And even if it didn't come from prophecy, just that they're great Nebi'im, but they have an opinion. Well, good. So their opinion will be considered like everybody else's and go through the legal process. It's like the thousand one hachamim not like the thousand Nebi'im, Hanichbadim, respected as they may be. That is the end of the words of Harambam. Vim Ken, and therefore, says Chacham I'm sorry to say, no matter how great Rabbeinu Ha'ari was, and it was, and he was a great man, like one of the earliest people in our history, the great, right? When other poskim say the opposite, and they are the majority opinion, Azlenan Batar Ruba, we go after the majority, not after the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah does not have any precedent or in uh, you know greater force in establishing halakha than the legal opinions of the other poskim. So now look what Hakamavad is doing now, right? How is he self-supporting himself? He's supporting himself with Ashkerazim, who studied Kabbalah. And the reason he's doing that is not because there weren't Sfaradim per se, right? This is very important to understand. He's not doing it because there weren't Sfaradim that said otherwise. He's doing it because these Ashkenazim that he brings studied Kabbalah. It wasn't that they didn't study Kabbalah. They studied Kabbalah. They held the Kabbalah, of Kabbalah very highly. They made it very much an integral part of their Torah but they did not have legal rulings based on it. So one of the greatest examples of that is the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon was an expert in the Kabbalah of the Ari, but he did not allow for the Kabbalah of the Ari to enter into his legal rulings. And so we're gonna look now at what it is that the, <clears throat> what the Vilna Gaon held, at least in terms of what people uh, testify to him having said. So he says, Kozhiken, um, the Vilna Gaon did not believe that the whole of the Kabbalah of the Ari was from Eliyahu and Nabi. It was only a little bit, maybe some kernels that came from Eliyahu and Nabi, but otherwise, everything was built from his immense wisdom. Which is not saying you know a small thing. It's pretty powerful to build this entire. It was one of the literally. I mean, the Kabbalah of Rabbeinu Ari is one of the most intricate and complex systems of of thought ever devised by a human being. I mean, it's, a, it's massively complex and systematic. But we do not have an obligation to believe in it. Hook, line, and sinker. Not only that, the manuscripts that we have are quite messed up. We don't have clear manuscripts that come down clearly for all of this. 
שכך כתב הגאון רבי חיים וולוז'ן. רב חיים וולוז'ן, who was the primary student of the Vilna Gaon, wrote in his, in his introduction to the Sifra de Sniruta, which is also a book on Kabbalah. ואם כן, מה כל החרידה הזאת? This is חמו וליאטו, he goes, okay, so if that's the case, what's with all this shaking about, you know, the חרידים, החרידה הזאת, להניח דברי כל הפוסקים. You take words of all the פוסקים, וכללי הדינים, and not only are the words of the פוסקים, the principles of law. Right? That's what כללי הדינים means. And you throw them all out in one fell swoop, because the Ari had an opinion? That's what Chamovadiyah is saying. So Chamovadiyah says, I've already written this at length. He says, there's this Tishelot Shavot Mina Shamayim where Rabbi, this Rabbi Merwez, yeah, Merwez. He had dreams and he would ask in his lucid dreaming questions. And whatever answers he would get from his questions, he would write in, the, in, the, in, the, in his book, in his shuvot. They're inaccessible, they're, in a, they're inadmissible, excuse me, saying, and I clarified, we don't accept it because The Hida said the same thing. He said, if he would have seen he also would have changed his mind. Yeah, and I answered it. I answered correct things as far as I understand them. He goes, look, I'm not the only one who says this about the Hida that he was mistaken over here to make such assumptions about the about Maran. And he says, you can see, I wrote in Yabi Omer, so you can go and judge from what I wrote over there as well and establish it here in our place. The truth is that when it comes to this, we say, Not only that, but the truth of the matter is, we have evidence that even the fact that the Ari's opinion was to say is not stable. It's not even clear that the Ari's opinion was to say Anoten Neav He says, we see this. And we say like the words of the Pri Hadash. The Pri Hadash says, Pashatim in Hagle Omra, Apikit Ve'arizal. He says, look, the Pri Hadash would be his Giao de Silva. He writes, it's true that people say to say Anoten Neav based on the Ari. Zulat Sad Yahidim Shenam Omrimota. There's some people that don't say it. However, he goes, Ve'ani Ahad Mehim, I'm one of them. I don't say it. But Tama'ala Tovain, and the Hida was surprised at the Pri Hadash. How come he doesn't say it? The Pri Hadash was an expert in the words of the Ari. How come he didn't say it? Said the Hida. I'm shocked, he says. And he would even explain Sugyot of the Gemara based on the Ari, the Pri Hadash. Based on everything that I said, said Chacham he goes, I'll tell you why the Pri Hadash didn't write about the, use the Ari in the Psaq, because he holds Lo B'Shamayimi. 19th century, in his book, He also, he says, I don't understand the Hida. Why is it he wrote this? That if Maran would have seen the Ari, he would have changed his mind. 
What's the matter? We never heard of Safek Barachot Le'akel before? How could he just throw that, that, that principle out of being afraid of saying God's name in vain because of the Ari? His words are very strange. It says in Ma'aserav, which is a book that chronicle or that basically records the customs of the Vilna Gaon. And it says the Vilna Gaon did not say, There were those who didn't say it. Even the Hida said, look, the truth is, I've seen there were rabbis who saw the words of the Ari and they didn't change from their customs. And so on so forth. So that's where we end tonight with Hacham And if we're summing up, we recognize that Hacham entire argument is but that's assuming that the words of the Ari are coming entirely from Eliyahu Nabi. And if they're not coming from Eliyahu Nabi, that's wonderful. But then we have rules. And he's subject to the rules like everybody else. And in this case, this particular issue, the rules are that when I have question to whether it should say bracha or not, even when Maran is of the opinion, and even when the Ari is of an opinion, we say don't say the bracha because we don't want to take God's name in vain. Is that clear to everybody so far? Does anybody have any questions, specifically what we've said up until now? Okay, so with the last 10 minutes, I want, to, I want to suggest another aspect of this. I want to point out another aspect of this. Because there are other people here. Not just the Ashkenazim like the Vilna Gaon, and not just the Benish Hai. There's also the Western Sfaradim. And the Western Sfaradim, like Hacham Sasportas, who was a Mikubal, by the way. Hacham Sasportas studied Kabbalah, he was a very, very serious Mikubal. He established that Kabbalah should not be included at all in the community. Now, the reason that Hacham Sasportas did that was not necessarily only a legal issue. That was something that Hacham Sasportas was very concerned about because of Shabtai Tzvi. Because Shabtai Tzvi used Kabbalah in order to be able to convince the entire Jewish world, hook, line, and sinker, that he was the Mashiach. So I want to put that on the side. Because Hacham Sasportas, you know, we talk about it on, in the Western Sfaradi world, you know, how rational we are and reason-based we are, and therefore we don't have Kabbalah. That's not the reason why we don't have Kabbalah. The reason we, and we still, by the way, have certain things that are still Kabbalistic, even in the S&P, that were not touched by Hacham Sasportas. I'll give you a perfect example of it. And it's always usually around death, by the way, because people get so heebie-jeebie around death that that's the one place that they don't like to mess around with. There's a custom in the S&P to do what we call hakafot hamet, right? So we, we, we do these circles, we do these uh, circuits around the dead body before burying the dead body. That is entirely Kabbalistic. There is no basis for it in legal terms whatsoever. And it's been done since day one in our community. There are literally etchings that depict hakafot hamet, yeah, that are done in London by the SP community. And then nobody took away, nobody touched it. Everybody left it because, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the dead, the dead and the souls and so on and so forth. So even that, you know, the irrational superstitions creep in when we get to be a little bit nervous about what's going to happen. But for the most part, we don't have those things. The issue, I think, however, is broader than that. It's not just that we don't accept it from Shammai, right? 
Remember, even if we hold the Vilna Gaon as an example, the Vilna Gaon, on the one hand, said that the Ari did not get everything that he got from Ilyahu Nabi, and at the same time said, you know, I don't necessarily have to include the Ari in my, my legal rulings. There is a bigger issue here. And it does have to do with the nature of theory and practice. Okay? And this is also a reason why, one of the reasons why, we are not posik uh, from other things like midrash, for example. Right? There are elements of Torah that are, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah, there are elements of Torah that are metaphysical in nature, right? That the way that they deal with things or the manner in which they deal with reality is metaphysical, which means that it is not concrete and practical. It speaks of things in theory. It speaks of things in esoterics. It speaks of things in philosophical terms that are abstracted ideas very often, and therefore also subtle ideas that require a great deal of reason, sensitivity to the nature of reality, of logical thought, in order to be able to genuinely bring down into their core established practical applications. And that is something that Harambam talks about at the, in the opening, I mean, he doesn't stop talking about this in the opening to the morning of the Bukhim. All he's, he keeps saying over and over and over again, right? In the most simple terms, the way that I simplify it is, Harambam says, just because we think does not mean that we think correctly. And that when I deal with abstract metaphysical concepts, which are subtle and, and refined, I need to train my mind in order to be able to appropriately ascertain them and to incorporate them into my life and practice. And therefore, if we are going to address them and deal with them, we need to be able to prep ourselves to first of all, deal with them and understand them. And second of all, bring them down to earth, so to speak. And because Kabbalah, deals with those kinds of concepts. It is not a practical Torah. It is a metaphysical Torah. It is an esoteric Torah. It is an abstracted Torah. And therefore, and I tell you, you know, I mean, I know there are people here, I'll give you an example, right? I'll, you know, I know there are people here who've been reading a lot of Rabbi Faur lately, Allah Shalom. Yeah. So I had this discussion with Rabbi Faur and I spoke to him about, you know, the Aris Kabbalah. He goes, I have no problem with the Aris Kabbalah. The issue that Rabbi Faur had was with the Spanish Kabbalists, right? But so did the Ari have problem with the Spanish Kabbalists. Right? Everybody had problem with the Spanish Kabbalists. And what Rabbi Faur said about the Ari's Kabbalah, he says, it's poetics. It's metaphysics. It's, it's fine, but it's not legal. And that was what he said. He goes, I have no issue with that. It's, it's wonderful. It's brilliant. But it's not legal. And that is the issue. So the reality is if we're going to, to call a spade a spade, right? And we're gonna talk here in the Sephardi Habura, the reality is, is that there are Sephardim and there are Sephardim. And the Sephardim that lived in the East and were completely uh, uh, avoided, were completely set apart from the enlightenment, 
had no problem bringing Kabbalah into practical life because they didn't necessarily recognize what they didn't recognize. And I know that I'm saying a very severe thing over here, right? I know that I'm saying I'm, everything, but Hacham Vadya's point is very important with regards to this. Hacham Vadya is saying, listen, I, I don't know whether the Ari got his Torah from, from Eliyahu Nabi or not from Eliyahu Nabi. All I know is that whatever it is that he says is an opinion. And if that opinion can hold its weight in the legal process, then by all means. But it does not have special treatment in the legal process. And the reason why that is important, and this is me saying, this is now, that's Hakam Avadiyah, and what I'm saying is, the reason why that's important is because if I'm going to take metaphysics and employ them into the legal process, they need to be able to stand up to the legal process. And if they do, and they genuinely are able to come in and, and hold themselves within the entire rigor, rigor of the process of adjudicating law and our jurisprudence, well then, fine, then we've accomplished being able to bring concepts that are abstract into practical application. But that, my friends, is precisely what would need to happen abstracts would need to be brought down painstakingly into practical applications. And that is not for everyone. And it is certainly not to be used as a principle because bringing abstracts down into practical implications is a tradition that we have that isn't something that's easy to do. And it's certainly not as matter of fact and, and, and run of the mill to do. So the Western Sfaradim, yes, they had problems with Messianic Sabbatianism, right? And that was an issue. But the, the Western Sfaradim also went through the Enlightenment. And they were used to thinking about metaphysics qua metaphysics. And abstracts qua abstracts. And understanding that in order to be able to bring those down into practical application, it required careful systematic thought. So Hakam Avadiyah was not a man of the Enlightenment. He would tell you that, and I'm telling you that. Nobody argues that. He did not come from the world of the Enlightenment. But he knew one thing. There is a legal process. And the abstractions of the Ari, and the esoteric thought of the Ari, the metaphysics of the Ari, do not override or trump the legal process. And we have tradition for that, and he showed the tradition for it. And that's why the Vilna Gaon did not treat it as though it was the trump card. So I want to show you a bit, right? And those, I realize it's 9.30, so those who want to go absolutely can go. I mean, not that I'm holding you in any way, but I won't take it personally. But I want to show you just a bit, not a lot. I'm going to show you just a bit so that you see that this is not just crazy Joe Dweck talking again, right? That there's, there's basis for what it is that I'm telling you. Serious basis for what it is that I'm saying. So take a look at this. First of all, Rabbi Haim Vital, who was the foremost student of the Ari, himself said, most people didn't understand my rabbi. So people read this, they think they understood and most people didn't understand him. <clears throat> That's what he writes over here in his, in his Hakdamata, the Shara Hakdamot. 
He says, look, as far as I'm concerned, I can tell you, I did not leave my master. I studied with him constantly. My hand didn't leave his even for a moment. I sat to understand clearly everything that he said. And he told me nobody else should teach this except for me because I was the only one who understood what he was trying to say. Anything that you find written otherwise about him or in his name, in anywhere else, uh, other than what I wrote, Ta'ud Gamur, who it's a complete mistake. They didn't understand it. Okay, that's a very serious thing to say. And then I bring over here Harambam and talking about Maaseh Merkavan, Maaseh Bereshit. How Harambam shows the halakha as established in the Mishnah. We can't even teach this to one person, much less anyone. Because of its, of its abstract nature. And because of the mistakes that will occur in understanding if they aren't given over appropriately or if they're distracted thought or if the person who's hearing it is not yet ready to hear it. This is not everyday practice. You have to set up your mind, says Harambam, in order to be able to deal with these kinds of things. And here I give you examples where abstracted concepts don't make it down to earth. So this is a Gemaran Birachot, and where God's talking to Moshe, and he says to Moshe, he's now on the mountain, right up in the in the skies. And God says to Moshe, he goes, look, and I want you to go down and you tell Bitzalel that he should make a Mishkan, a Shahanan, and Aaron. He should make the Mishkan, he should make an ark in that order. Moshe goes down to Bitzalel and he says, Bitzalel, God said to make an ark and a Mishkan. And Bitzalel says it's impossible. God couldn't have said that. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, you don't make uh, the furniture before you make the house. Obviously, you make the house first and then the furniture. And Moshe says, oh my gosh, you're right. Were you Were you in the shadow of God when he said that? It's very interesting that he's in the shadow of God, not in the light of God, like Moshe. Why am I bringing this? Because Moshe was up there on the mountain, but when he came down, something was missing. When he brought it to earth, it didn't translate as he thought it was up there. Another story like that is with the menorah. It says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted Moshe to make a menorah. Moshe goes up to the heavens. He sees the menorah. God says, make this. Moshe says, great, I got it. He goes down to the mountain. He can't figure it out. Goes back up again. He says, how am I supposed to do this? He goes, make this. God shows him the menorah. Moshe goes, okay, great, I got it. He goes down to the bottom of the mountain. He doesn't know how to make the menorah. And over and over again. That's, this is the story. So finally, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, just ask Bitzalel, he'll do it. And why is Bitzalel important over here? Because Bitzalel is the one that's able to take esoteric, metaphysical concepts and make them into practical applications. He's an engineer. That's what engineers do. So that's a story you should take a look at in Bimidbar Rabbah. All of it here, I'll send you the thing. Here are the Radbaz. The Radbaz was a contemporary of Maran. I told you many times, the Radbaz was held by Maran in the highest esteem. When the Radbaz was alive and living in Sfat, Maran would not sign a Psak Din without the Radbaz seeing it and agreeing to it. Rabbi David bin Zimra. And the Radbaz says, Yesh biadi klal gadol. He goes, I have a major principle in my hand. 
שבכל דבר שנכתב בגמרא אחד מן הפוסקים או בעלי הלכות, anything that is written in the Talmud or any one of the legal authorities, אפילו שיהיה הפך ממה שכתוב בסורי קבלה, even if what they say is opposite what's written in the books of the קבלה, אני מורה בו ולא אחוש באחד מאותם הספרים. I rule according to the legal authorities, I don't care about anything that's written in the קבלה. That's the major, major concept that I hold. And finally, Chacham Shem Tov Gagin, my predecessor, was, was the, the ecclesiastical head of the S&P in the 30s and 40s. And he writes over here in his book, Keter Shem Tov, right? And he was an Eastern Chacham who moved to the West. He lived in Egypt, and then he moved to become the head of the, the S&P here. And he says, you know, they have this custom on Pesach to pour wine when you say Dam Akinim Arov, when you say the Makot, there's this minhag to pour wine. And he says, Aval Hasfaradim in London and Amsterdam enam Because Faradim in London and Amsterdam have no idea what this minhag is. They don't do it. And then he writes, He goes, the early Sfaradim, none of them did it. And what happened? Hazayazo, this strange behavior is what Hazaya means. It came from the Ashkenazim. But when the Sfaradim in the days of the Ari saw that the Ari did it because he was an Ashkenazi, they did it because he did it. And then little by little, everybody started doing it. They don't know from their right or left. And so he says, you should know. He goes, look, Jews like superstitions. He goes, like, so take for example the Ayn Ara. Every member of Israel follows this problem, this issue. So why am I bringing all of this to you? Right, and this goes on and on. You know, this is the Teshuvah that we did from Hacham Ovadiyah. And Hacham Ovadiyah himself says, Whenever you have a Gemara or the legal authorities arguing on the Zohar, you rule like the Gemara and the legal authorities, not like the Zohar. The Zohar is not necessarily Bashamaymi. The reason is because we do not supersede, override our legal system because of abstract metaphysic thought. It is wonderful. It is part of the rich tapestry that is the Torah of Israel. None of us, and this is also something that I think that the, the rationalists make a mistake with. They just dismiss Kabbalah out of hand. Not important. Shouldn't be studied. They're absolutely wrong. There are tremendous ideas and principles that are taught in Zohar, in the words of the Ari. The Ari's thinking was staggering. The man's capacity to recognize the structure of reality and to be able to devise an entire complex system based on these ideas was staggering and died at 39. But it wasn't legal. In other words, it wasn't against, I'm not saying it was against the law. It wasn't something that was a legal element. It wasn't to be brought into legal applications. 
And we have to understand the difference between the two. And that really we learn, right? And I'm talking about this paradigm of this Habura here that essentially have Harambam as our main guide. Harambam wouldn't necessarily have any problem with the Kabbalah. I'm, I'm assuming, right? I'm not saying what the Hidah said about Maran. Right? Harambam wouldn't have any issues with the thoughts, but they would not be admissible in law. And that is the point. It's not that they don't have value. It's not that they don't have wisdom. It's not that they don't have tremendously meaningful ideas. But they are not legal ideas. And they are not to be incorporated into our jurisprudence. And that's it. That's our issue. That Hacham Ovadia agrees with. And that the Western Sfaradim agree with. And that's our tradition. Now I will say that absolutely as part of the Sephardic family, there are people like the Benish Hai and the Hida and their group who do not see this. But it's not our tradition. When I say our, I mean the Western Sfaradim, the Sfaradim that follow the thought of Harambam, it doesn't have place in our tradition. And in that capacity, Hacham Avaya is on our, in our camp, right? And so I use the, the Teshubah Hacham to be able to express the ideas with the, the extra elements that I'm putting out around. Okay, so that's it. If there are questions, I'll stick around for whoever wants to ask questions for about another 10 minutes, but I certainly don't mean to keep everybody uh, beyond this time. So am I supposed to look at the questions in the in the chat? I think there's a few questions maybe you can go through. In the chat? Okay, so I'll start to look through the chat. How does Hidan and Maran didn't see what the Ari wrote? They were both in spot. He doesn't know, but the only reason that there's a question as to, to that is because we know that the manuscripts of the Ari that ended up putting things out didn't come out in public in Sfat at that time. They, they were delayed and they ended up coming out later. So we don't assume that he saw the manuscripts of what it was that they were doing. And they were very private about it. As a matter of fact, there are stories that say that the Maran wanted to study with them and the Ari wouldn't let him in. So that's the assumption. The Hida said they were precedent. So you asked that question, I think, uh, Robert. Daniel, question if later. If Shohan Aruch doesn't rule according to the Ari, then how can anyone argue that Shohan Aruch was universally accepted? If the Shohan Aruch doesn't rule according to the Ari, then how can it? I, that's always with caveat, Daniel. Right? Anytime that we say something is universal, it's always with caveat and it's not universal. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to show you one thing, by the way, while I'm here. Uh, and, and show you that the SMP does not say we don't have it in our Sidur. I'll show you. Rav, you don't say it? Nope. Oh, I say it. I personally say it, but when I'm leaving Kevila, I don't say it. I personally say it only because of Minhag. Hacham continues the Teshubah and he says that in a place of Minhag, we don't say but that's for another Shiur. I'll explain why. But if you take a look uh, here, one second. You'll see, this is the Birkot HaShahar. Shear is normally where we put a Noten HaFkohar. There's not a Noten HaFkohar. It doesn't belong. We posek like Maran HaShahan Aruch. Yeah? We do a lot of things like Maran HaShahan Aruch. We also don't say, for example, the Barichu after the last Alenu on Shabbat. Yeah? Why? Because Maran is posek HaShahan Aruch. How many times do you have to say Barichu? We have seven olim plus go up to the Torah. Everybody says, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. How many times do I have to say Baruch The only reason we say Baruch before the Alenu is because people might have missed the Baruch of Yotzer Or. 
But on Shabbat, we have 100 people going up to say Baruch Hu. You don't have to say it. So in the S&P, we don't say it. Except in Wembley, because uh, Diane uh, Toledano just changed everything, unfortunately. What are you bringing here, family, uh, Rabbi Lisha? What are you bringing me here? I'm not sure what you're bringing. Uh, is there any proof that he actually received it all from Eliyahu? Of course not. Of course not. As a matter of fact, the truth of the matter is, it's not even Rabbi Haim Vital, who was the student of Liari, writes clearly. That's why you know he writes clearly in Shara Gilgulim. He says that the Ari would go to the Ari. Excuse me, the Ari would go. He would have a Gilui Eliyahu Navi. And all Eliyahu Navi would say to him was he was correct or incorrect. In other words, the Ari would study lines of the Zohar. He would spend all week delving into trying to understand the, a line of a Zohar. And then he would see Eliyahu at the end of the week. And Eliyahu would say, you're right or you're wrong. And go back. That's the way that Rabbi Haim Vital tells me. So what do those people who believe that Ari got his Torah from Eliyahu Navi and makes his Torah superior to the existence of the Magid Meshari? What do those people who believe that Ari got his Torah from Eliyahu Navi and that makes his Torah superior do with the existence of Magid Misharim? You addressed this, Rav, I think. I think I did. I don't know. I hope I did. I think I did. Yeah. yeah. It was before me. The yeah. Okay. Felix Afrain, how can we get Hacham Yasefarim digitally? We can't. It's a perk. Sorry. But one day. Simon Montague. So did Hacham himself not say Anotenev Koach? He did. You answer that he later. He said Anotenev Koach because of his Minhag, because it was the Minhag, but not because the Ari said it. Asaf. Was the Hida more influenced by the Hachamim in the East or by his North African roots as applying Kabbalah? So it's a very interesting question, Asaf, because although Marana Hida definitely said what he said over here with regards to the Biracha, he was not like the Benish Hai. The Benish Hai, for example, was much more influenced by the Ari in everything that he was posek. The Hida was much more limited. The Hida, in certain places, he held the Ari's Psak that way, but otherwise the Hida was, was much stronger following than he was following the Ari. In the issues of Berachot, it was very strong. Surely the Rambam, surely the Rambam uh, did bring metaphysics into the legal process. What about 13 principles of faith that has become part of our tefillah? That's custom. The 13 uh, articles of faith that Rambam established were not legal principles, right? The only legal principle of it was to recognize that, listen, Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, if you did not believe in these 13 principles, then the law dictated what you do with such a person. But the principles themselves were not legal. They were concepts, they were conceptual. The fact that we say them in our prayers is entirely custom. First of all, the Yigdal is a poem, right? That's, that's, that's poorly depicts the 13 principles of Arabam, frankly. Right? They're not quite accurate. The poem is not quite accurate, but it's nice. And we say it and it reminds us. Yeah. Um, interestingly, the Ari wrote that the Yigdal poem is not based on truth. <laughs> so you shouldn't say it. In any case, it's a whole, it's a whole, uh, it's a whole playground with the discussion of Hachami. But we say it out of custom because these are our, you know, it's our catechism, so to speak. Like these are our core principles. So we want to include them in our daily prayers and make sure that they're part of our the part of our liturgy but um not part of our legal system they're super uh, the system 
Dan Jones, what about it? Everyone had principles. I don't know if you're talking to me or this is in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> we don't start sentences. Uh, I know you don't like it when people chat. All right. Oh, is that what was going on? All right. Okay. 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 So, are we to view Kabbalah in a similar way to how we view Midrash? Yes. Yes, we are. That's exactly the way we're supposed to look at it. And that's why Harambam, who I believe never saw the Zohar, some people think he did, but I believe he never saw the Zohar, nor did he know anything about what we call Kabbalah. Um, he called the Midrashim Sodot Torah. He said the Midrashim are the secrets of the Torah. Right? And when he said secrets, that's essentially what he was talking about. He was talking about metaphysics. Yeah? So for, for, the, uh, for Harambam, his book on Kabbalah, quote-unquote, was the Morin Nebuchim. Yeah, where he was addressing these, these ideas. Yes, yes. Okay. Ah, wait, Daniel Jonas disagrees with me. He says, no, view it like Picasso. It's wonderful and powerful, but we don't behave like Picasso in our life. Yeah, but we don't believe, behave like the Midrash in our life either. The Midrash teaches concepts that, that teach us about the lens with, it, with which we see the world in our life. And so in the similar vein, we look at Kabbalah. Um, in my opinion, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Tamar, what do people who rule in accordance with Kabbalah do with the Gemara about Loba Shamayimhi? They, it's an issue, first of all, right? It's not a simple thing, yeah? And it's not an easy question to answer. What they say is that these are not, it's not changing, they will understand it as, as a Navi essentially changing mitzvot, right? You know, I come in and I tell you because God told me to do this, this is what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do in terms of the mitzvot themselves. But the reality is, is because likely they see the Ari as hybrid, right? As opposed to that there's some element of that that's meant to be infiltrated, meant to be put into the Torah. But it's an extremely difficult argument to make. In all honesty, it's a very good question, Itamar. I wish I could hear a good, a good answer for it, but I have yet to hear one. So the Minhag to say it overrides Allah, okay, I don't know what it is. All right, everybody. I think Yoshua's got a question. Yoshua Ben Zadon, yes, sir. Yeah, uh, well, actually I have a few, a few questions. Well, question. like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, when he brought the Rambam, right, to support uh, that he may have accepted the Kabbalah, like, he certainly, maybe, as you said, probably he didn't never say he would have accepted Kabbalah, Yoshua. Be careful with your words. You said that he might have been. No, I said he wouldn't have had a problem with it. But also, like, I wanted to, to make a difference, if there is a difference, of the Kabbalah of the Zohar and the Kabbalah of Dari, right? There well, was like what a... do you mean by a difference? I don't know. That's, that's what I, mean, I. Obviously, the Kabbalah of the Dari is much more developed than, than the Zohar. But the Ari is working off of the Zohar. So he's taking okay. the principles or concepts of the Zohar and he's unpacking them and developing them and structuring them. For the Ari, everything was structure. Everything. He was just building structures based on the principles taught by the Zohar. Okay. Now, going to the to the Teshuvah of Hamad Yosef, um, does he follow that rule all the time? Do we really follow that rule all the time? He does. The only time that it will look like he's following the, the Ari is when he, he sees that the custom of the people was to follow the Ari. And then he would establish custom. But why? 
like that that really goes against but i told you custom is a whole nother story that we don't have time tonight to be able to deal with but it's something if the custom if if the custom is rooted in the kabbalah which he rejects and says that has no legal standing then it okay that so that makes the minhag not legal so to speak like if if the minhag is based on the kabbalah which is rejected legally then why would the minhag have any standing it's possible that a minhag could be based on Kabbalah, even if it started in a way that maybe it shouldn't have, but nonetheless ends up being the way that people accept doing something. So there are places where Hakam will accept it because it's minhag. In other words, it's possible that a minhag starts, it could be that it started contem- you know, contemporary with Maran, because remember, Maran and Shohan Aruch, this is also something people don't know, and I don't know if Rabbi Halevi said this last week because I came only at the end, Baran wrote in his uh, introduction to Shohan Aruch, he goes, look, this is a Shohan Aruch I'm putting out for you. Everybody should practice this way unless you have a custom otherwise. Unless you have a custom otherwise and do your custom. So it all depends on where the custom started and how they started. But the Ari was, was contemporary of, with Maran. So it's very possible. It looked like, like uh, Simhat Torah. Simhat Torah started then. Who was doing Simhat Torah? I mean, they had all kinds of crazy practices, but the practice that we do for Simhat Torah today is basically the Ari. It's what he did and what he wrote. And so it's not necessarily going against anything and it's not necessarily compromising anything. Here, this is a very good example. Here, I'll give you an example, right? Uh, the Tzitzit. What, is, what does Rabbeinu Ari say about the Tzitzit and what does Maran write about the Tzitzit? Who can tell me? Who can tell me? Let's see. Who 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 can tell me? Challenge. Um, is it that um, you do wear them at night? According. No, no, to I'm not talking about night. I'm talking about how to wear the talit katan. Maran has an opinion, and the Ari yeah. has an opinion. What's Maran's opinion? Uh, uh, What's the Ari's opinion? The Ari says to wear them inside. I think doesn't he? The, the Ari says to wear them completely wear them concealed. Yeah. And Maran says what? To wear them outside. Uh, Maran says to wear, to wear them, them on top of all of your clothes. Yeah. So the Shohan Aruch says also. to wear them like the Hasidim do, right? The top garment is the Talit Katan. And the Ari says it should be completely concealed, tzitzit and all, the fringes and all, completely under your clothes. Right? Okay. So here's a question that does end up becoming an issue of custom. Why? Which is very different than the Brachot. Why is it different than the Brachot? Who can tell me? Why is the question of what we do for tzitzit different than the issue of birachot? I mean, there's a lot less at stake in this case. What is it? There's a lot less at stake. I mean, you're, you're, there's no of issue. Of course, there's a lot less at stake. Yeah. What, what's at stake with the biracha? God's name in vain. You're going to say God's name in vain and swear falsely in his name. That's an insane problem. Here with the tzitzit, okay, so I wore it under my garment. I wore it on top of my garment. I decided that my custom is going to go like the Ari instead of Maran. No harm, no foul. You could say at least I'm wearing tzitzit, but and then and then what does Hakam Abadiyah say about that? He has a wonderful, he has a beautiful tishuban. This is also something that's nice for this Fari Habura to know, right? As in our derech of learning, people questioned and said, you know, all of the Sfaradi Hachamim wore their tzitzit underneath all of their garments, including the fringes. And then when they got to yeshiva in the Ashkenazi yeshivas, the Ashkenazi rabbi said, "Not nice. You should take your tzitzit out." So they asked Hacham Avadiyah, the Sephardi Talmidim asked Hacham Avadiyah, should we follow the Ashkenazi rabbis, what they're telling us to do, take our tzitzit out, or should we keep the tzitzit inside? And Hacham Avadiyah says, it's haram, 
It's asur, it's not right, to put your tzitzit outside. Why? Because then you are blatantly going against and saying that the custom of all of your ancestors, right, at least for the last 500 years, was incorrect. And that's basically saying, yeah, I know my grandfather and great-grandfather, all of them, they wore their tzitzit this way, but it's not good enough for me. I need to take the tzitzit out. So Hamavaya says, it's not appropriate to do that. You should wear your tzitzit inside, which is what he did. So there's all of these, these elements, these issues, which are, of course, nuanced, which is the nature of law. But we have to know the principles in order to be able to apply them. And yes, like Matthew says, the stakes are extremely high when you're dealing with Berachot. And you've got to be very good. So there, we cannot just say, listen, it's Kabbalah, we've got to do it. If you want to say, listen, how do how is it that you want to put your talit on? Or your talit katan? Or do you want to, you know, when you put your talit on, do you want to wrap it around your shoulder? Or do you want to just hold it? Okay, so those are things that we can look at and see. Usually, though, I will tell you, if you look carefully at Chacham Avadiyaz Teshubot, if he does establish or like reinforce a custom among the Mekubalim, he will always find poskim that write in accordance with that for other reasons in order to be able to solidify it legally. And it's not simply a pure treatment of the Ari. Yes? Well, what, a, well, what about... Last um, question, Yoshua. And well, last okay, this, is, this, is, this is just a continuation. I had a last one. But what about like... Um, like we take that lightly why would we take that lightly i'm saying for example i believe that the film in holamoed yeah rob of the poskim and from the gemara it seems that we should wear them but the majority of us don't so wear that's them. also yeah but where is the source where does this source of like that was this mean where does this mean hack stem from because if it really comes from the Kabbalah, we're taking legal legal codes from the Kabbalah, then it goes against the Teshuvah, which is red, right? Correct. That's also all custom. It's all a matter of custom. And so because it is something that is a Sheval Ta'aseh, a Mitzvah Ta'aseh, and there's custom that establishes it, that's it. Remember, custom is not a small thing. Custom is the only thing. And this I told you, we don't have time tonight. It's the only thing that we will not say Safek Barachot to. If you have a minhag to say baracha, we say the baracha. And that's established. So we'll have to look at why that is. But it is. And the, one of the, what, I mean, without getting into the details, the reason is because minhag establishes something as though it is not a doubt, as though it is absolute. And so we don't look at it as doubtful when the minhag is established. And so we have to understand that the minhag not to wear tefillin on Holon Oed became a very serious minhag. It's not, not, it wasn't a fly-by-night fringe minhag. So we do it. And because it's a sheval ta'aseh, and because the stakes are not are not the way that they are with taking the beracha or possibly God's name in vain, we allow it. All right. Yes, indeed, Simon Montague. Hanach Laimi says one of Chacham Ovadiyah's favorite lines. And on that note, may we all aspire to Nebuah. And I wish you a good night and thank you for your patience and for carrying through. And Bezrat Hashem, I will see you next time. Hazak Baruch, everyone. Thank you. And uh, enjoy Chodesh Tov. We're just after Rosh Chodesh, but Chodesh Tov nonetheless. Good night.